everybody welcome back to the second episode of the hr evolution a revolution of hr for the evolution of business and today's guest is jenna rosenberg from uh, visions federal credit union um, one of the leading companies from a culture perspective um, not only in finance but also in um, central or southern tier of new york um, i've known jenna for quite some time um, but uh, Bobby and I are here today to really learn from Jenna's experiences in the world of HR. She is championing for a strong future of HR and knows what it takes in order to be a valued asset within her organization. And the whole passion project of why Bobby and I put on this show is to really talk about the future of HR and the positive role that we can play within the future of business and the lives of the employees in which we live and uh, live to serve. So today, Bobby, I wanted to introduce you and have you uh, have the opportunity to kind of talk about why you do the show. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Kevin. I think you hit it on the head there. Um, you know, certainly a passion project that you and I have um, been near and dear to for the last couple of years um, as we've sort of started to navigate the HR landscape. Um, you know, I think my my big driver um, to kind of get into this space is to help HR leaders, um, folks that are looking to break into HR, um, you know, folks that are kind of in, in the junior um, level of HR, really learn how to become more strategic and be better business partners. Perfect. And no better person to be talking about that today than Jenna. Jenna, how are you? How are you been? How have you been? Good. Good. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Bobby. Happy to be here with both of you today. Awesome. Hi, Thanks. Thanks so much again, Jenna, for accepting the opportunity to, to interview you today and an opportunity for us to learn from you today. Um, do you want to tell some of uh, the audience? I have to ask first and foremost about that title that you're carrying now. You moved from VP of HR to now VP Chief of Governance and Strategy Officer. So you want to get into that evolution that you've experienced and how you've moved into it now a different role within the organization. Absolutely. I'm happy to. So I am one of those individuals that actually um, out of college, I went to undergrad to study HR and then moved into a role that actually used my undergraduate degree, which was super cool. So for the first uh, chapter of my career, I was focusing solely on HR and um, moving up that growth. Uh, trajectory. But last October, I was given the opportunity within Visions to move into a new role, which as you identified, Vice President, Chief Governance and Strategy Officer. And it's a it's a big title. Uh, it's a lot of work. So in this role, I still do oversee uh, the HR function within the organization. All of us in HR know that HR is a part of strategy, um, or at least it should be for a company that really wants to be successful and dynamic. Um, so it made sense to have me begin to focus more on helping to facilitate our strategic efforts as an organization, making sure that we're aligned around what our strategic priorities are. Um, and then I also have the very fortunate opportunity to work with our board of directors as a not-for-profit financial institution. We're governed by a board of directors and led by a board of directors um, and their strategy and their growth is equally important as part of a growing organization. So I work with them to help 
deliver on their objectives and initiatives as well. Wow. Wow. There's a lot, lot, lot to bite off uh, from, from what you just shared with that new title. And I know that you're getting to live that every day. Before we get into really um, more of the specifics on, on some of the items that you just mentioned, Jenna, I'm dying to ask, um, what is, uh, when you're moving into work, you're driving into work, what song are you singing to when you know you're gearing up for a big board meeting? So I have the most uh, varied taste in music <laughs> of pretty much anybody. So like when I go through, I've got satellite radio and all the stations I have pinned are so weird. So they go from like chill house music to pit bull radio to classic rock to uh, to sports radio. So it really depends on my mood. Um, right now, I'm really into um what am I really into right now? I'm actually really into like reggaeton and stuff like that. Now and you're then speaking I'm my language. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. It gets me going. It gets me going. I went to um, Miami not too long ago and got, you know, super into that vibe. Um, and then I really like um, kind of some of that chill house music. It just gets me in, in a good headspace if I'm preparing for a big meeting or something like that. Um, but you can never like overlook your classic hip hop as well. Um, so anything that came out back in like the nineties, two thousands, I'm always going to be happy to hear that too. <laughs> Absolutely. Jenna. <laughs> hip hop's not hip hop today. No, no. And I also, I also will maintain that country is not country today either because I grew up in an era of like, again, that nineties country and, and the country I hear today is much different. So all right. Music well, you're a music definitely. fanatic then, Jenna. And I know you guys are uh, yeah. have some big uh, employee outings there at Visions. And, and, and that was the whole idea as you're building this culture to really have a space where everybody could get together. All right. It's karaoke night. You're grabbing the microphone. What song are you singing to the entire employee population there? So um, everyone's going to hope that I never grab the microphone. <laughs> I have a terrible singing voice, like absolutely atrocious. Um, I think the one and only time I actually did karaoke uh, was in college with my girlfriends and we sang Wilson Phillips, Hold On. Um, so I would have to say I'd probably repeat that because I don't think I should be singing. There may have been one other time with Madonna too, but overall the answer to that is let's hope I'm never grabbing a microphone in karaoke. Now. It means you lost the bet or something. Yeah. Correct. You're correct. Yeah, or we're trying to clear the room one or the other. <laughs> That's hilarious. Jenna, um, so, you know, as, as you're, you know, as, as we talked about your title and my understanding is that, you know, you're, you're really looking over governance and controls, you know, strategic planning and DNI initiatives. Um, what do you like to do for fun when you get a chance to have some fun? Absolutely. Uh, I am a big traveler. Um, I believe that travel is so good for me and for everyone who has the opportunity to do it. You get away from work, um, you refresh, whether it's traveling, you know, an hour away to go check out some of the stuff in Syracuse or going abroad. I just think traveling and getting out of your everyday space makes us all such richer people, feeds the mind, feeds the soul. Um, so I'm a huge travel buff. Um, and then I'm also an athlete. I was an athlete my whole life. Um, so I run a lot. Um, I'm actually training for an upcoming 10 mile race in September. So I'm one of those crazy people that actually thinks that running is fun. Um, <laughs> and then I spend time with my dog. My dog is, uh, he's my favorite person. So I spent a lot of time with him. 
Right. <laughs> well, he, he probably doesn't have all the bad things to say about your or all the negativity sometimes that uh, you yeah. might hear in your yeah. day job. So I'm sure that helps yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Unconditional love. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So um, as we switch gears here uh, and you talked about how you're ensuring that you are always providing value, not only to obviously the employees um, that, that uh, you are bringing into the door, maintaining relationships with and building their expertise. Expertise, but also you mentioned the the board, right? Being a nonprofit, you're also answering to the board as well as the CEO. How do you handle that that very complex dynamic from from managing employees' expectations as well as board expectations? Yeah, it's a it's an interesting question, and I think any organization, whether you're trying to align leadership and employees, board leadership and employees, we're all constantly trying to make sure that the needs of all of our stakeholders are met and understood. So I think a lot of it is just awareness and understanding, taking the opportunity to understand um, what the board needs, what are their concerns, what are their priorities, same that we would do um, with employees that we are talking to and looking for those alignment opportunities as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, at, the, at the end of the day, you know, I think the most important thing is to really have a clear vision and mission of where we're going uh, and make sure that everyone can understand and articulate that because at the that is the best way to create that alignment. If the board, the leadership, and the employees all understand that and are excited by it, mm-hmm. um, then it's going to give you that alignment that you're looking for and make it um, so that there is cohesion between all parties. That's and, and, and one of the things that we talked about, you mentioned mission, vision, and values, right? Mm-hmm. HR, HR, I really see as almost like the initial defenders, if you will, of those mission, vision, and values. How do you ensure that you and your team, as well as, I guess, the, the managers and senior leadership are always protecting those types of the, the, the mission, vision, and values to get to that culture that you guys are talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think, first of all, it's making sure that it's uh, clarified and communicated um, from day one. So when we're bringing, it's on our website, when we're bringing in new employees, we're making sure that they understand kind of where we're going as an organization and why. It becomes really important to communicate the why to people. So Visions is in growth mode. We've been in growth mode for a while, but it's not enough to just tell people that we're growing. We need to help them understand why we're growing and why growth is important to us as an organization. So I think it has to do with that clarity of communication first and foremost, and then you have to be practicing what you preach uh, as well to ensure that you know leadership is carrying out the the mission and the vision of the organization, um, and it needs to be something that. Uh, excites people mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Jenna, I'm sure, you know, with your strategic planning hat on, you're talking about carrying on that vision forward, right? The next three, five, 10 years and beyond. Um, how how have you found it um, kind of navigating in that role during a global pandemic and being able to kind of stay nimble in your strategic plans? Um, you know, maybe something uh, that you drew up or, or the board helped, you know, you know, kind of create, um, you have to pivot. How have you been able to kind of stay nimble when it comes to creating and executing a strategic plan? Yeah, so I think it's important with a strategic plan to know what your overarching tenants are, right? To be able to choose 
things like growth and then understanding that things that we're doing should be passing through certain filters. You know, so for visions, we want to be looking at things that support the employees, support the members, um, support our communities and keep us a financially viable organization. So if you kind of identify and set those tenets and then make sure that the things that you're doing are passing through that, whether you're in a global pandemic or not. I think that that's really helpful almost as like that North Star guiding principle. But you do have to be flexible. None of us could have predicted a global pandemic and it changed our focus area. And so I think something that I see or I've seen in all organizations as leadership, we tend to attach ourselves to one idea or one definition of success. And we say, okay, I have to do X, Y, and Z to become successful. You also have to know when to let it go, whether it's caused by a global pandemic or because other environmental factors shifted or things changed within your organization. Strategic planning can't be just a blind um alignment toward one thing, you have to be continually reconsidering what's happening and what's changing and have the leadership ability to recognize when you need to shift course, um, whether it's COVID or otherwise. Um, So I do think that that nimbleness that you talk about is really important. Um, And we were able to to shift and do what we needed to do during the pandemic to continue to meet those um, objectives and sort of serve our stakeholder parties. That's fascinating. And you mentioned the idea of uh, like um, some some leaders and some individuals, it's human nature that will we'll cling to that one idea that we think, think is truth, right? I, I see it time and time again, um, when you're asking, you're getting more people's opinions, right? Are you a diverse culture? Yes, we are, right? Well, show me the data. Well. No, that's just my opinion, right? So I find that data brings transparency, it builds trust, and you can talk from a place of fact rather than emotion or fiction. Mm-hmm. Are you using data to almost challenge, I mean, the ways of thinking or prove a um, process that you think needs improving from a strategic way or how some decisions made today are going to negatively impact the business six months, 12 months from now? How are you applying data to, I guess, either change the status quo, change the opinions and maybe attack some of those old views, uh, world views of leadership and, and what success and how success is defined? Right. I mean, data is critical. The saying is essentially, if you can't measure it, you shouldn't be doing it. Um, So when it comes to strategy, I do think that data is really important and we're constantly looking at, but it's not a perfect science. You know, that said, it's not a perfect science. So you can't back yourself into a corner and say, if I can't prove profitability of something, then we shouldn't be doing it because not everything that you should be doing as a business can be proven out just in profitability. I mean, we know that as HR people more than probably anyone else, sometimes we get accused of not supporting the the bottom line because we're not revenue generators, but still without HR, without recruitment, without learning and development, you're not going to be successful as an organization. So we may not have that direct impact to the bottom line, but that doesn't mean that there's not value there. So while I do think that data is critical, whether it's strategic planning or HR, you can't um, you can't back yourself into a corner mm-hmm. with it as well. You should use it to kind of prove out or disprove ideas or arguments, like you said. Um, but also, it helps you to make sure that you're shooting your arrows at the right target. Um, without data, you could be making decisions for your workforce based on what you believe to be true only to find out that that's not actually what your workforce wants. And I think 
um, you know, surveying your workforce to get data on what their priorities are can be a really important tool in your toolbox, um, especially if you're looking to make changes or, de or decisions surrounding benefits, for example. Um, you may think that you know what your workforce wants, but you're one person or a small representation of the population. Instead of guessing, why don't you just go out and ask them? Yeah. Um, so I do think that data is critically important. And I see that role, uh, especially for HR, really growing and changing. And I love it. I love data. I find it fascinating. Um, and I love when you can kind of prove out what you are planning to do using data. It's a great feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Jen, I think you touched on a point there that Kevin and I talk about often, and that's the, the criticality of, you know, HR professionals to really understand their business, really understand how the business makes money, how they can lose money, um, you know, the ins and outs of, of operations, um, you know, kind of looking at your, your education path, you know, knowing that you, you started at Cornell and the ILR school, um, and then you went out and got your MBA. How valuable do you think that MBA was in helping to kind of round out your HR career and help you to be more strategic today? So valuable. Um, I'm really glad that I made the decision to go for an MBA versus a more focused kind of HR degree. I had a very uh, focused and a wonderful undergraduate degree, but a very focused undergraduate degree. And it gave me the skill sets and the talents that I needed to start in my first professional role. But one of the things that I loved about getting my MBA is that I did it while I was working full time. And while that led to a few kind of stressful and tiring years, it was really cool to be able to apply the lessons that I was learning in real time. I think that helped to give me a richer education uh, as I was moving through that curriculum. And I did appreciate the more broad-based nature of it because it got me thinking about things like marketing and business strategy that even though I may not have used those right away, those core fundamental lessons have stayed with me and I find that I'm able to apply them now um, in this role. And I think it just made me a more global thinker as well. Uh, and really introduced me to different concepts of teamwork and stuff like that, that, that really served me um, in a positive manner. That, I, I, and awesome. Bobby and I talk about that all the time. It almost seems in, in my experience, sometimes when we go, when I go into an organization and, and we bring finance, we bring this executive senior leadership in and as well as HR, it's almost like they're meeting for the first time. Right. It's it, and I know that's not the same for, for visions over there as I, I know the organization pretty intimately. Um, yeah, yeah, I but, agree. And I and I think on that, I think on that note, if I can just add, it, it's somewhat incumbent upon HR people to learn the business. Uh, HR skills are transferable. So I've been in higher education, healthcare, and now finance because an HR skill set is transferable across industry. But you can't just be a good HR practitioner. You need to be a business partner. And so I think it's really incumbent upon HR professionals to take the time to learn about the business that they're in and ask the questions and go sit with um, their coworkers because it builds that awareness that, again, is really important in making decisions and setting policies. If you don't understand all the facets of the business that you're in, how can you be making good decisions that actually represent the employee population? Spot on. And then do you find that it's more effective when you are trying to communicate strategy and, and, and instead of talking in emotions like culture, turnover, engagement, 
speaking back in terms of like business terminology, like focused on like profit and loss statements and, and almost finding a, 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 a common language, if you will, with finance. Um, has that helped you to build the relationship with finance that's vitally important with most organizations? Yeah, you know, I think being in a credit union, it's not just about finance, it's about understanding, you know, what is the day to day of our different employees, our frontline employees that are serving our members in branch, they're really the, the heartbeat of what we're doing. Uh, so it's certainly important to understand uh, their perspective and be able to have um, an understanding of their challenges. But it is, again, it's important to relate things back, not just to emotion, like you said, but to the business case. Um, that is critical for all HR professionals. If you want to get something done or make a change, there needs to be a business case for it. Having it just be a good idea or a feel-good thing, I don't think that's enough anymore. I'm not sure if it ever was, but now you need to be able to make your business case. Yeah. And how much correlation have you found with employee sentiment? Uh, you mentioned the call center that is now expanding before we got on the show, but um, how how much more intertwined have you seen over the years? Because you started, I, I know one of your first roles was more of a generalist role. And that was at the same time, I believe, that you were getting your MBA at Marist. Um, and you mentioned like living, living it out. Um, what did you learn back then Um that was pivotal to then go to be kind of in talent selection, talent, talent acquisition, and then moving into another more business related HR function there at Visions. What did you learn, I guess, during your own transition? Learned a lot. Uh, over time, we learn a lot, right? Like sometimes I just think, oh my gosh, like where, how am I storing everything uh, that I've learned over time? Because HR is all about learning lessons and learning forward um, and applying those lessons. So, you know, I think some of the earliest lessons that I learned in my time at Marist really were around um, kind of balancing and prioritization. And that's something I always talk to uh, individuals about when they're thinking about getting into HR and they ask you, you know, okay, what's your typical day like? There is no typical day. Uh, <laughs> every day is a little different and you need to be able to balance and prioritize a lot of competing demands. And I think I learned that really early on as a generalist, when you're doing just little pieces of everything, you need to be able to prioritize and shift and, and be nimble going from thing to thing. So I think that was one of the first things that I learned. Um, and another really critical lesson there was just on working with people. We are in human resources. You have to be able to work with people. And what that means is understanding the personalities, the priorities, um, the emotional intelligence of others that you're working with and adjusting your approach to bring about the best possible outcome. Um, a lot of times we may um, find that we're struggling in communication or working relationship with a specific person. How are you going to fix that? You know, how are you going to work with this wide group of stakeholders um, and members? So I think that that was another thing I learned really early on through some larger assignments that I had was it is my responsibility as someone who wants to grow and be successful in human resources to figure out how to work well with a wide population of other people um, and, and how to get through stressful situations because they're going to occur. Um, and you can't let them derail you. You have to be able to deal with the situation and figure out how to move on. Yeah, I, I, I love that, Jenna. How to adjust your approach 
um, to different personalities, right? We're constantly trying to find that battle in HR. Um, so, you know, we, we have, as Kevin mentioned, kind of a, a lot of HR leaders um, who, who listen into the podcast, but also, you know, a lot of folks who are studying HR today um, and others who are just kind of starting their career. Where's the white space, do you think, within the function today that some of our, our younger listeners or folks wanting to break in can really make an impact out of the gate? Mm. So I think there's always an opportunity for fresh new ideas and fresh approaches. And certainly the world of HR is changing rapidly as we move to perhaps more of a remote environment. So I think the input and the ideas of these newer generations about what exactly it is that they're looking for in terms of a work environment to be able to stay engaged, whether you're decentralized, remote work, um, what is really kind of that special sauce that will help to maintain a good company culture and high levels of engagement if you're not all in that traditional work environment where you're located physically near each other? So I think that's a really big space that there's a lot of unanswered questions in. So I think that's something that um, some of these newer generations can be bringing fresh perspective and fresh ideas to. Uh, I also think going back to what we were talking about before, data analytics and HR, that's huge. And I know a lot of the students that I'm talking to now are either majoring or minoring in MIS. And I would love to see more of a conversation around HR and data and how some of these new positions will support um, a data focus within HR. Uh, and I think really the last thing is with innovation. So we all want to be innovative companies, right? We hear that term all the time. We need to be innovative. We need to um, be agile. We need to be creative. And sometimes, uh, thankfully not in my company, but in other companies, I suspect the HR gets left out of that innovation conversation because there still is this preconceived notion that HR is more of a tactical operational um, focus. And while there are absolutely tactical pieces of HR, people need to get paid, they need to get enrolled in their benefits. Um, there needs to be a, an intentional effort to include HR in that innovation conversation as well. Mm -hmm. How did you protect, so you obviously have a seat at that proverbial table that uh, a lot of HR professionals dream of, um, wish of having, or even have, but then they're not listened to, they're not valued, then they're not heard or asked these types of questions, right? What, type, what can we be doing outside of just the stereotypical sign-on bonus? I, Bobby and I joke about it all the time, but that was like the quick check of the box and no offense, but if you're you're only attracting talent for monetary purposes, they're probably not going to be too engaged with the organization. They're going to wait for the next highest bidder, right? Um, how have you protected, I guess, your seat at the table? And how do you ensure, I guess, in every meeting that you're having the opportunity to either speak up, have a critical conversation, and provide value? Sure. Um, so I'm pretty lucky in that regard because the leadership of the organization sees and recognizes HR as a strategic business partner. So I've gotten really lucky um, in that regard. But beyond that, I think number one, it's showing value. So what are your channels that you're using to show value? Again, going back to data, are you showing improvement on culture and engagement surveys? What's your recruitment and your turnover data looking like? 
Um, how are you showing a direct correlation between the efforts and the things that you're doing and the success of the business? I think that that's really important. And then again, relating back to what we were talking about before, I think you need to make sure as an HR practitioner, you're not getting yourself into a silo because it's really easy to keep things passing through just a lens of HR. It's important to understand the larger, more global business lens and be able to contribute and have conversations at that level. Because if you're just constantly coming back to things that are only HR focused, I don't necessarily think that it, um, it presents you at that strategic level. And it's easy, to, it's, you know, it's easy to just stay focused on um, that HR lens, but I do think you need to take a little bit more of a global view about it as well if you really want um, to maintain that seat at the table. Yeah. yeah, so so many great takeaways there, Jenna. Um, I want to shift gears just a little bit and talk a little bit about your work that you do within the the DEI space. Um, you know, I, I hopped on the the Visions website and I think you know, right in the about us section, it's like you know, pops out at you, you know, and, and it talks about um, DEI. You know, from your perspective, I can tell that it's at the forefront of your organization. Um, where do you see? you know, kind of opportunities within this space over the next couple of years um, as we continue to evolve in the HR world? Yeah, absolutely. So DEI is something that's really important to Visions. Uh, We're really fortunate that it's kind of in our DNA as an organization. We're a not-for-profit community financial institution that focuses on serving all members, um, regardless of any diversity dimensions or characteristics that they portray. Um, So it's just, it's really intertwined into our DNA. Where I think the opportunities lie for visions as well as for um, all organizations are in creating more of an intentional strategy surrounding DEI that will continue to keep pace with growing organizations, right? So as we continue to grow into Um, new locations or just grow as an organization, how do we create an intentional structure around DEI that ensures everyone continues to feel comfortable and can show up at work with their whole and authentic self and feel um, included even if they are four states away from our headquarters someday, right? So I think that that's where a big opportunity lies Um, and ensuring that DEI efforts and conversations are intertwined throughout the organization. DEI cannot be this siloed entity. In order to be successful, DEI needs to be a consideration at all these different conversations and meetings, whether it's about rolling out new products, projects and initiatives, um, employee initiatives, member initiatives that should have a DEI conversation or consideration. And that's where, you know, I think a really important point is that DEI, where it gets housed within an organization can be indicative of kind of how, mm. uh, what the organization's approach is to it. And oftentimes it gets coupled with HR, which makes sense, but it can't be the sole responsibility of HR. Just like employee engagement and culture, HR practitioners may drive that, but you can't single-handedly create a great culture. You can't single-handedly nurture a diverse and inclusive workforce. It has to be everyone's um, responsibility and there has to be that organizational commitment. 
Wow. Uh, I love the DE&I conversation because um, you said, I I would say it it can be indicative too when HR is reporting into finance directly too within an organization. Um, I I think sometimes there's there's a bit of a challenge. There's a little bit of a rub there as well. Um, As we're closing in, because I I, I know you got a lot of uh, things to do because the business is booming and you guys are growing like crazy. Um, What have you, one one of the questions that I want to ask, because you're on the strategic side and to Bobby's point, you're thinking two years five years, 10 years down the road. Um, we're hearing things like 47% of the jobs are gone over the next nine years. 87% of the job descriptions are, are needing to be rewritten over the next 10 years. With those types of things in mind, and you're talking about the evolution of HR, the revolution of, of, of what the function is, and taking data, um, to data to start taking predictive insights, um, descriptive, predictive, uh, all of that kind of stuff, where is the future of work headed? And where do you see the future of talent uh, development headed? Um, because I see them two very intertwined, um, but I'd love to hear your strategic outlook of, of talent and where the future of work is headed today, Jenna. Absolutely. So it, it's dynamic, right? It's dynamic. It's a fluid situation. It's ever-changing. Uh, over the last five years, we've ping-ponged back and forth between um talent recessions and then, you know, high unemployment. And it just seems like we're constantly trying to shift and adjust to it. So I think, I think the future of work um, continues to be rooted in the core principles of every business. Uh, And it is important to be taking a look at if you're automating processes, which a lot of us are, um, instead of thinking, okay, now I can scale down my talent. Perhaps you're thinking about how can automating processes free up that human resource to provide more value add to the business or to our customers? And that's a conversation that we've had a lot at Visions. As we automate processes, it's with a goal of freeing up hours from our workforce to do more value add um, things versus these kind of routine or operational functions that maybe they were spending their time doing before. So I think, you know, for organizations moving into kind of this automation space, using data, using RPA, um, what's really your end goal? And you need to establish that as an organization and have that at the forefront um, to guide your efforts. And and I do think we need to be giving people the opportunity to upskill and potentially change roles and jobs. If you want to um, find different ways to retain talent, that's one of them. Give them a path, give them an opportunity to try new things and do new things um, with an effort of giving them a great experience, but also supporting your business. Because at the end of the day, employees who are engaged in what they're doing are going to be more connected to the mission, providing better service, um, more productive employees overall. And we all know that, but sometimes I think we lose sight of it. So looking at these rapid changes as opportunities to, again, deliver down on what are your core things, employees, your community, um, your stakeholders, your customers, that is um, how we should be approaching these new drastic changes and using that to kind of guide our success. Beautiful. And it sounds like you guys, with all this ever changing, right? You talk about the socioeconomic climate that's changing rapidly outside the walls and exteriorly of the business that they really don't have any control over. But the fundamental thing that I heard back from this episode is your intention, right? Your intentions drive your attention. 
So if you intend to always be there to serve the key stakeholders, the employees, as well as other senior leaders within the organization, your attention to things starts to shift and starts to change. And that's exactly what we're talking about with the revolution of HR is that we have the opportunity to really change business for the better and really change how businesses interact with the the communities in which they work and live. So Mm -hmm. Jenna, I just wanted to say thank you so much for this opportunity. You gave us so much information. I have 10 pages of notes from you. Um, And this is why I love having conversations with unicorn HR leaders like yourself, because I think we're going to start seeing more um, individuals like you, Jenna, in senior leadership positions, like as in the CEO of these organizations, because you understand there is a balance between um, the business as well as the employees. There's a give and take, but striking and finding that balance, understanding that there's never you're never done. Um, and it's constantly evolving um, is obviously why you're ahead of the game and, and continue to lead the charge there for Visions Federal Credit Union. So thank you so much for being a guest on our show. I, I had a blast. Thanks, John. Yeah, I did as well. Thanks, Bobby. Thanks, Kevin. Great talking with you both. This was a pleasure. Thanks again, Jenna. Looking forward to more conversations with you. Have a great day. Thanks. You too.